Good morning. When Pastor Ryan told me a few weeks ago that we were going to be doing a series in the book of Acts, I got really excited. I don't know what it is, but whenever I hear that there is going to be a study going on in the book of Acts, whether it's a sermon or a conference, I, uh, I want to be there. Have you ever had a conversation with someone who was about to start a church plant, maybe a local ministry, or uh, go on global missions for the first time? There's this excitement level and energy that's almost supernatural to describe. Oftentimes, people leave their careers, a good-paying salary, benefits, and there's this wide-eyed optimism that this person is about to change lives. But more than anything else, there's a boldness about them, a boldness that says no matter what happens, they're going to be all right because they know they're working for the Lord. We just heard Ken, a college student, tell us about how he's going to go overseas this, this summer, give up his entire summer break to go and serve the Lord to tell people about Jesus. It's just so awesome. And that's what we get to witness in the book of Acts. It's a group of people who are so bold that they're willing to give up their jobs, give up their families, and sometimes even their lives to spread the good news about Jesus, what it looks like to follow him. And most of them have no clue what they're doing. They're ordinary people like you and me who are just willing to say, yes, Lord. And when it's all said and done, God uses their boldness in ways we couldn't even imagine. A group of a few dozen people quickly turned to a few hundred, and then a few thousand. They formed the early church, and we get, the boldness, we get to benefit from their boldness 2,000 years later. And in the end, there's no one to credit but God. If you've never read through the book of Acts, please do yourself a favor. Look through it this week. Read through it. I promise you, you're not going to be bored. Today, we're going to be learning about one of the most well-known conversion stories in the book of Acts. And not just the book of Acts, but some would argue in human history. And it involves one of the most popular superheroes of the Bible, Paul. In fact, many, besides Jesus, many people believe that Paul has done more to advance the Christian faith than anyone ever. Thirteen of the 26 books in the New Testament have traditionally been credited to Paul. Just about half of the book of Acts has to do with his life and works. Works and writings that have helped us shape our theology. A theology that says salvation is based on faith and not works. It's a theology that influenced Martin Luther and began the Protestant movement. And over 10 years ago, there was a church plant in Storrs, Connecticut that valued his life so much that they named the church after him. And if you're listening from home, that church has now moved to Wellington. It's in the millworks. <laughs> Paul's conversion story is one of extreme uniqueness. And it's only fitting that he was such a unique individual. I love what John MacArthur, how he describes Paul. By birth, a Jew. By conviction, a Pharisee. By citizenship, a Roman. By education, a Greek. By grace, a Christian. He was a missionary, a theologian, an evangelist, a pastor, a teacher, a preacher, an organizer, a leader, a thinker, a fighter, a statesman, and a lover, all at the same time. It's important that to understand how powerful this conversion story truly is, we must first understand, though, who Paul was. Before he became Paul, he was known as Saul of Tarsus, which was the city in which he was born. Tarsus, which is a city of uh, Cilicia, a free city of the Romans, his father and mother were both native Jews, and he was a part of the prestigious tribe of Benjamin. 
Paul tells us in Acts 22 that he was sent to the university at Jerusalem where he studied divinity and the Jewish law, where he trained under Gamaliel. He was one of the leading Pharisees of his day. So if you needed ancient Judaism to fulfill your college credit and Gamaliel was the, the prof for that class, you better get up real early on scheduling day because that class is going to fill up quickly. Paul knew Jewish law inside and out. He was a good Jewish boy, and he considered himself one of the best law-abiding Jewish men. And he was extremely zealous for God, as he tells us many times throughout the New Testament. Paul saw Christianity as a threat to Judaism. He made it his mission to single-handedly shut down the movement. The first time Paul is mentioned in scriptures is in the end of Acts chapter 7. Stephen, a man who is described full of God's grace and power, just gets done preaching this wonderful, amazing sermon on all of the history of the forefathers of the Old Testament. It culminates to the righteous one, the Messiah, Jesus, who the Jewish listeners, uh, who the Jews portrayed and eventually murder. And before the Jewish listeners rushed at him and drug him out of the city and stoned him to death, we learn in Acts 7.58 that they, lo they lay their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And then the text says Saul was there, giving approval to his death. This most likely meant that Saul was the ringleader of the stoning. He was the chief organizer. He, was, he oversaw the whole ordeal. A few verses later, after Stephen's death, we learn that Saul begins to destroy the early church. Going from house to house, he, dra he dragged out men and women. It didn't matter who you were. He was going to put you in prison. If you were a follower of Jesus then you were an enemy of Saul. Saul was a bad man. He was villain number one to the Christian movement. And you can assume that most of the early Christians knew of him and they wanted nothing to do with him. Do all of you know what a bug out kit is? A couple people? <laughs> Basically, a bug out kit is a bag that you put together. You have it by your, by the, your exit, maybe, of your door, stuff, stuffed away somewhere. It contains all of the things you would need to survive if you were to have a natural disaster or any type of disaster and go and live, you know. Usually, it's, it'll keep you up to at least 72 hours. It's got things like water in it and uh, canned food, maybe a knife and some matches. So if Paul was headed to your neighborhood, you were ready and you were about to take your family and take the bug out bag and you wanted to get out of Dodge if he was coming to your city. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Acts chapter 9? Acts comes right after the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And this is where we're going to be camped out in most of today's sermon. If you don't have a Bible, there's some on the side tables. Feel free to pass them along. And if you don't have one at home, feel free to keep it as your gift today. So... This is just one of the, account, of the three accounts that Luke writes about in the uh, book of Acts. This conversion story is later repeated in Acts chapter 22, and then again in Acts chapter 26, where we get Paul's point of view on the story. And this is significant, because Luke is usually a writer who's known for his brevity and, con and concision, and for him to repeat a story t twice more after saying it, it's a big deal. So let's take a look at the text, beginning in Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 1. Meanwhile... Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Imagine how angry you have to be that with every breath you take, the, the, the threats of slaughter come out of you. Saul's only mission in life was to extinguish the disciples. We're not referring to the 12 disciples of Jesus. We're referring to anyone who's a Jesus follower at this time. 
He went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So at this point, we're about three to five years after the resurrection of Jesus. The term Christianity wasn't even around yet. Anyone who was a Jesus follower was someone who was a part of the way. So basically, Saul goes to the high priest to be empowered to round up as many Christians or those belonging to the way as he could find. He wanted to chain them up and bring them back to Jerusalem to be put in jail and then be put on trial. And he had no problem using violence to achieve these tasks. And the high priest, the person who who oversaw Judaism at the time, grants his wish. They felt that they were doing the will of God because of what they read and were taught from the Old Covenant. They already crucified Jesus. They just got done stoning Stephen. And now Saul is on a mission to end this movement of the early church, even if it meant leaving Jerusalem, traveling to the ends of the earth to where Christianity was spreading. Verse 3, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? We see right away that something divine is happening to Saul. You remember this as a child. If you ever got the double name call from one of your parents, you knew you were in big trouble. (laughs) Keith? Keith? (laughs) If God ever calls your name twice, something's up. He's trying to interrupt you in your tracks. We've seen this before in Genesis 22 when he calls Abraham... Abraham, right before, he's, uh, inst- right before he's about to sl- slay his son Isaac. We see it again in Genesis 46. God calls Jacob, Jacob, before he travels to Egypt to see his son Joseph. And again in Exodus, the Lord calls Moses, Moses, as he stops Moses from approaching the burning bush to let him know, you're on holy ground. So laying, so laying on the ground, Saul asks, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. The one whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. Instantly, we see see Saul refer to the voice as Lord, or otherwise known as Master. And I think he recognized right away something divine is happening to him. And he's right. Jesus has entered the building. (laughs) There's no human that was going to stop Saul from persecuting the church. For him to be stopped, it was going to take a divine intervention. And in steps Jesus. And now, not only does Saul stop dead in his tracks, but right away, he gives him a new call. This story is not just about a conversion. It's about a new calling on Saul's life. From this moment on, Saul will become a believer, but also a person who has a role to play in God's kingdom. A few years ago, towards the end of my career of working with the UConn women's basketball team, I started to get the feeling that my time at the university was coming to an end. But it wasn't until the, uh, the opportunity came up at St. Paul's and it became available that I knew that my, my call on life has changed. And it's so interesting. There's a group of people who were accompanying Paul, Saul, and on this journey to, to Damascus, but they couldn't see what Saul was seeing. Oftentimes, conversion in someone's life, it's going to be personal. There were many people who doubted my decision to stop working with the Huskies. We had just won two national championships. They would go on to win two more. St. Paul's, we were without a lead pastor at the time. There was no 
there was no confidence, there was no uh, guarantee that the church was going to make it through such a big transition of finding a new pastor. Oftentimes, those around you, family, friends, bystanders, they're going to be confused when God decides to intervene in your life and when a conversion takes place. People might be present with you, but they might not be seeing what God is doing and what, is, what he's up to in your life. And we see that from the people who were around Saul at the time. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. I have to imagine what was going through Saul's mind for these three days. Saul only saw the heresy. He was so stuck in what he had in his head about the old covenant that he refused to accept that God had fulfilled the covenant through Jesus. He was stuck in his old way of thinking, but God was moving. In an instant, Saul goes from this brutal attacker, breathing murderous threats, pursuing believers all the way to Damascus, to now a passive, helpless, childlike man who was dependent upon others to get anywhere. At some point during these three days, he has to imagine that this is going to be what life is like now. He's going to be blind, and he's going to need assistance from others for the rest of his life. I also assume that at some point, the weight of all his actions, what he had been doing, must have set in. Oftentimes, when God convicts you of something that you didn't realize you were doing, it's so easy to get stuck in this haze, feeling sorry for yourself, and think that there's no way that you're going to be able to recover. But my advice to you is don't give up. God is so good about giving us second chances in life. It comes from experience. And as we're about to read, God gives Saul his vision back. But he doesn't just give him his sight back. He gives him an entirely new outlook on life. In verse 10, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. Now, this Ananias is not to be confused with the one we learned about from Pastor Ryan a few weeks ago with Ananias and Sapphira. Which, by the way, for those of you who might be skeptical about the Bible, if you were going to be making up a story like this, why would you choose to name someone in the same, the same name as someone only a few chapters earlier in, in Acts was struck down dead for being a hypocrite of the early church? There's so many other names you could use. Why choose that one? <laughs> so the Lord calls to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man for Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. So Straight Street is an actual street which runs from east to west in the old city of Damascus in Syria. I love little details like this in the Bible. During the Greek period in Damascus, the city was redesigned by an ancient Greek architect. His name was Hippodamus. And he gave the city a grid structure, similar to some American cities like Boston, Philadelphia, D.C. The longest of these streets, 1,500 meters in length across the city, was called Straight Street. If you're familiar with Boston, this would be known as like Washington Street. And if you're from Philly, the Philly area, this would be Broad Street. The street has since been renamed, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce the new name, but it is an actual street in Syria. I love when the Bible gets specific like that. So in verse 13, we see, Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with the authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. Like God didn't already know this. <laughs> so initially, we hear Ananias answer God when he calls, Yes, Lord, 
here I am. And this is the same way we hear Samuel answer the Lord when he calls Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 3. But Ananias' tune quickly changes. He hears what the Lord has in store for him. And he says, Lord, you do not surely mean the Saul of Tarsus, right? I heard he was coming this way, and I was just actually about to hit the road for a few days. I got my bug out kit packed, and I'm ready to go. Lord, you know what he's done to your people, right? We see this pushback time and time again from people in the scripture, in scriptures. It's parallel with people like Moses and Job and Mary. And I think, you know, sometimes it's okay to doubt God. I think it's okay to question him. But doubting and questioning, it's a big difference than disobedience. Lord, you, you don't want me to go pray for that person in my office who's sick, right? Lord, you don't want me to forgive that person. You know what they did to me, right? Lord, you want me to invite my neighbor to church again? You know they're going to say no. But you know what? Again, there's a big difference between questioning and doubting and actual disobedience. And we don't hear God argue with Ananias. He, says, he said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. We see this word instrument used a few times in the book of Luke and now in Acts. Its, me, it's meaning as a container or a vessel. And again, we see that the calling of Saul is not just for him to be converted to the way, but he's going to be used as a chosen disciple to carry the Lord's name, not just to the Jews, but now to the Gentiles and their kings. And this is where we see the difference of the old covenant really being transformed into the new covenant that's meant for all people. And because of Paul's background, he is the perfect qualification to be an evangelist. He has a knowledge of the Jewish culture and language because he grew up in Tarsus. He's familiar with the Greek language, and because he grew up in Tarsus, he has a, he's, has a familiarity with the Greek language and culture. His training in Jewish theology would help him connect the Old Testament with the Gospel. But even though he was handpicked by God, at the end, we get a foreshadowing of the difficulties and trials that Paul was going to face for the rest of his life. In, in verse 17, then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me that, that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales just fall from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and he was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Instantly, the man who is determined to end the Christian faith is transformed by Christ. In Acts 13.9, it says that Saul is also called Paul, which is a Hebrew name. He most likely undergoes this name change so that uh, he could bridge between the Jews and the Gentiles. And more than the name change, his heart changes. This violent man who came to round up men and women and have them executed because of what they believe instantly transform into a man who never used violence again in the name of God. And he goes on to write some of the most beautiful literature on what it means to un love unconditionally, selflessly. Literature that Tracy and I used as the basis as, as our wedding vows. And my guess is that many of you might have as well. The same man who was killing the early Christians is now one of the chief authors and experts on love. And people read his works at, at, all, at their weddings all the time. I spoke at the beginning of the boldness that we see from the people who fill up the pages of Acts. 
And as I was studying for the sermon this week, I was just blown away by the boldness and the courage that we see from Ananias. When I get a nudge from, someone, from God to pray for a stranger in the grocery store or ask my server at the restaurant, you know, is there anything I could pray for you when I'm praying for dinner? I sometimes don't have the courage to do it. I'm just being honest with you. I can't even imagine being Ananias and praying for the man whose main mission in life is to, to seek out, arrest, and destroy the group of people that I'm a part of. We don't receive many details regarding who Ananias was. But we do know that in this story, he serves as a model for discipleship. His faith in the Lord was really strong, and he is enlisted as a messenger of God. Before he knows for sure whether Saul is going to regain his sight and instantly kill him, he accepts Paul into the Christian family, instantly referring to him as Brother Saul. And this isn't what God, isn't this what God calls us to do? To love our enemies? There's also some pretty good evidence that Ananias was one of the original 72 disciples whose mission is recorded in Luke 10. And it's in this chapter that Jesus sends out his disciples two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. Ananias got to meet Jesus face to face. He heard him say, go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. I have to imagine that these words, although spoken so many years before, were going through Ananias' mind as he was traveling and about to go pray for Saul. It's obvious that he took what Jesus said to heart. Ananias could close his eyes and picture Jesus, Jesus giving him these commands directly. And for the months or even years following, they probably made no sense to him. But I can't imagine a bigger wolf than the one Ananias was about to go pray for in Saul. So often, we think of the Lord's disciples as these like prominent faith heroes of the Bible, like Peter or Paul. In our modern day, I think of people like Billy Graham or even missionaries like the Ricci's, who our church supports, who give up everything they have to go to, to Asia to go and tell people about Jesus. But the Lord's disciples are ordinary people like Ananias. They step in for a particular mission, and then they exit as the story moves on. Ministry is not just something that is done by someone in the church. You don't have to get paid to do it. It's more than a status or a job description. There's no magic formula or exact words that we have to use when we talk to others about what it means to follow Jesus, but we just have to be willing to say, yes, Lord, use me. Some of us in this room today were probably like Saul, we're probably headed down a path we shouldn't be going. Our minds are trapped in this old covenant way of thinking. We don't see the damage we're causing to ourselves or those around us. And we need to have an encounter with the Lord today. We need to be knocked to the ground, and we need to surrender and give God complete control of our lives. And others of us, we might be like Ananias. You might be living out your faith, doing the Lord's work quietly behind the scenes, you may not have a dramatic come-to-Jesus story in your life, and sometimes that might upset you. <laughs> but for you, I would just say keep pushing forward. Keep listening to the Lord. Don't be upset if you're not getting all the credit you deserve for something. Because like Jesus tells his disciples, rejoice, your names are already written in heaven. What an awesome feeling. 
It's likely that many of us will never impact the multitudes like Paul. But by being open and willing to go where God's leading, we could impact a Saul like Ananias did. So would you join me in prayer? Father God, Lord, we, uh, we just thank you so much. Lord, thank you so much for protecting these ancient words so that we could read them years, thousands of years later. Lord, thank you for people like Saul, who eventually becomes Paul, who goes on to, Lord, teach us so much about what it means to love others, thanks to his conversion story. Lord, thank you so much for people like Ananias, who just come in, do what they're told, and affect the world for the better because of what they do and because of listening to you. Lord, today I ask that if anyone in this room needs to have a a, a come-to-Jesus moment to be knocked on the ground, Lord, we ask that you do that to us. And Lord, if any of us just need the encouragement to keep plugging away, keep listening to you, Lord, we ask you to to give us that encouragement. And Lord, we, uh, we just give you thanks so much for your son, Jesus. Lord, who without him, none of this would be possible. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.